0: Welcome to our Thursdays with David Foster Wallace series where we every week read a section from the Infinite Jest with the hope of course of finishing the book by the end of the year. Today's section is pages 39 through 55 in the 20th anniversary Back Bay Books edition of the text published by Little Brown and Company. So to start this out today, we have this Year of the DAU, which is our most popular and most flush section of the novel thus far, pages 39 to 42. We start out with a dorm chat between Hal and Mario, and that's interesting because we've only gotten glimpses of Mario when he's half asleep or actually asleep in the case of the phone call that we got from earlier in the novel. Um, And they have this really interesting conversation, discussion about theology and death and Different styles of grieving and how Hal especially thinks about the, his mother's style of grieving. We hear that himself or Hal's father, Hal and Mario's father rather, is dead in the YDAU. So we have more questions here as to why he is dead, how he died, um, when he died, things like this. We get more insight both into Hal and Mario and the father later as we go on in the book, but for now, we basically have just a bunch of questions. I have a quote from page 42, and they're talking about different ways of grieving and how there are multiple avenues often to get to the same place in terms of healing, especially when someone has died. And I thought this was a really interesting way, again, on page 42, to articulate it. So Hal says, One way to lower the flag to half mass is just to lower the flag. There's another way, though. You can just raise the pole. You can raise the pole to, like, twice its original height. And I thought that it was just so astute, like something you wouldn't think about, um, at least I wouldn't think about in my normal life about solving the same problem as just raising the flagpole to twice its original height. I thought that was interesting. And then at one sentence, literally one sentence at the end of this closing section just checks in with us with the medical attaché who we still don't know how he's doing, but <laughs> this one sentence um, essentially says that he's still watching the tape that he was watching um, that we read about in the last weeks section so he's still on the recliner watching this mysterious tape that he put on randomly that he found in the mail so the next section october a uh, year of the depend adult undergarment it's 42 to 49 we're back to orin in candensa. Um, who is the third brother, Mario, and Hal are his other brothers. We find out um, that he is living near Tucson and that he's playing for the Arizona Cardinals. This is interesting. We knew he played football from earlier in the book, but now we get some specifics into his life. This part is, really quick editorial note here, is where he Where it becomes especially relevant to focus on the notes and errata section, which is in the way back of the book, um, page 998 from the top of my head. And this is where um, we get a lot of insight into characters. I have a question later in the episode that we'll get back to in regards to this notes and errata section, but please do. Uh, not skip these little numbers that come in the middle of sentences or at the end of sentences because I think they're really important for getting a grasp on the book and on the book's difficulty especially. So on page 43, I'm going to read a passage. This passage will not show up in the description, just as it's very long, and I do, do not want to get copyright infringement. Home with the team, no matter how high the AC or how thin the sheet Oren wakes with his own impressions, sweated darkly into the bed beneath him, slowly drying all day to a white, salty outline just slightly off from the week's other faint, dried outlines. So his fetal-shaped, fossilized image is fanned out across his side of the bed like a deck of cards, just overlapping like an acid trail or timed exposure. So this is a really interesting way to describe the heat of Arizona and his body's acclimation to it, I suppose, that goes on for another couple of paragraphs describing the heat and how Oren conceptualizes it, and it was just a very off-the-beaten-path sort of way to describe it, in my opinion, um, in a way to have this character embody part of the environment he's in, and I thought that was just sort of a cool moment in the, in the text here. And then we get into the rest of Oren's chapter. His narrator, I don't know who his narrator is. It's a third person omniscient sort of style except that the narrator is super duper casual and I don't know if this is to give us a sense of a sense of Oren's voice or not, but I just noticed that the narrator will say so and like Um, and just use very colloquial-like dialectical sort of phrasing. And so that, I'm not sure why that is, but again, it's sort of another cool moment in the text when you realize this is not the typical narrator that we would expect to encounter in a text like this. And the next thing about this section that I wanted to point out is that um, Oren has a cockroach problem in his apartment, and he sort of Suffocates the cockroaches. I thought this was so disgusting. There are other points later in the book that we will talk about that I just find to be so disturbing and so disgusting. This was one of them. So the cockroaches in his bathroom, he affixates under glasses. So at any one time there will be, you know, half a dozen glasses just sitting on the bathroom floor and he'll just trap the cockroach in the glass and then over the next few days he'll watch it every time he goes into the bathroom watch this collection of cockroaches just start to become asphy- asphyxiated, so they're suffocating to death and it's just sort of this gruesome picture of his everyday life I don't know what this says about his personality um and You know, maybe it does say something about he's not afraid to have people over and see this, but it's just, I just really found it gruesome for some reason. Let me know what you think about that passage if you have read the novel and are thinking back to it. And so our last section of the day today is pages 49 to to 55. This is another hint. Um, This section starts out with Hal getting high in the basement of the Tennis Academy, and he takes some pretty intense uh, stakes to keep up his secrecy. This is another hint that the weed dealer that we or the weed waiter rather that we saw in one of the first sections of our book club um, is Hal. And I'm going to read a, a quote from page 49. Um, Hal likes to get high in secret but a bigger secret is that he's as attached to the secrecy as he is to getting high. And so it, this sort of touches on what I was able to observe and it's part of the beginning part of the book when we were going over it is that he's so obsessed with the secrecy of his addiction for some reason and there's some hints in this section maybe that his secrecy is due to his mother that his mother doesn't like him having secrets from her like any mother probably (laughs) but Um, It seems like this is particularly a comment on him, um, between him and his mother, perhaps on their relationship. This section actually reminds me a lot of Honey Boy, if you've seen that movie. Um, I saw that a couple weeks ago, and it was just an intense movie. Um, But I think actually that the child actor in that movie, um, who is Shia LaBeouf, (laughs) um, or playing Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf um, is sort of similar to Hal in some ways. I don't know what you guys might think of that, but that's I'm throwing it out into the universe um this section is also really technical it's talking about the basement of the tennis academy and the systems behind for example erecting the tent that keeps the tennis courts operable during the winter so it's a lot of like machinery terminology and this has to do somewhat with dr james o Incondensa, which is Hal's father who we heard later in the or earlier in the section today who is dead so it's a very, it's a stark contrast between the character-driven sections that we have seen before in the novel. And here's my question about the end notes that I mentioned a couple minutes ago: Is David Foster Wallace the narrator of the end notes? I'm sort of like so <laughs> fixated on this idea, especially as the end notes get more and more intense. I just got to a part in the book which we will get to next week in our reading, um, where the end notes are just six pages for one endnote and I'm just so obsessed. Why is who's narrating the endnotes, first of all? Is it this author end note thing or is it Endnotes the authors of each endnote depends on what section it's from. I think this is something that Um, we should think about as we continue in the book. Uh, And the other question I had about endnotes was why are there so many? Why are they so essential to the book? Because the endnotes really do have a hundred or so pages in the back of the book, so they are in itself a novella. (laughs) So um, moving on in this section in particular, there's a lot of um, talk about drugs. I'm just going to say it um this is not a PC book to continue reading if you are faint hearted about that kind of stuff. I have no experience with illicit substances at all so um it's been an educational <laughs> read for me in that regard. We will not be talking about the specifics of those kinds of things on this episode because or this podcast in general because we are an educational podcast and we're for um younger audiences as well, so I'm not going to be delving into that just a note for the future of this book as that sort of talk gets more and more intense. And we have two last paragraphs in the section. the first last paragraph is the medical attache's wifes check-in and so we had one sentence at the beginning of this section um, and now we have a whole paragraph about the medical attache's wife talking about her. Um, with her tennis group and we find out that the medical attache is indeed still watching the cartridge that he found in the mail and that he has been watching it for so long that he's peed his pants in his recliner. Um, And we don't get much more information. We get more on the wife but um, not much more about what is going on with him exactly. And our final paragraph of this section uh, today is our first real view of Mario and Condenza in the book, finally. And he's a character who's pretty enigmatic, as I said before at this point, but he, a character who we will hear much more from in subsequent sections. We sort of find out in terms of Mario that he's a little bit off the beaten path. He's a little bit odd, and we're not exactly sure why yet. Our next section is going to be pages 56 to 121. It ends actually just before the next section, starting with Mario. It's about Mario's first love affair or something like of that nature. Um, but yeah, this next section ends at page 121. We are ramping up the... Um, length of these check-ins just so that we can more effectively get through the book. I'm going to be formatting the episodes a little differently as well, so look forward to that. Thank you guys for listening this week to our DFW check-in, and I will see you all on Monday. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from us, there is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website, relevanceofliterature.com, under the Ongoing Series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes. We also have a couple of open surveys that you can find through the links in the description, so if you have three minutes while you're waiting in line somewhere, we would very much appreciate your feedback on our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next time.